So our reading, we've got two readings this morning, um, and the first one is from Psalm 2. So the reign of the Lord's anointed. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his, anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have gotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Um, And the second reading is from Hebrews, chapter 1, and verses 1 to 5. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Thank you. Please do keep uh, the Bibles open. Oh dear, that didn't just fall, that broke. It's okay, it's just a plastic cover, I think we'll be okay. Um, Oh, maybe not. Actually, can I have it? Sorry. Uh, (laughs) The battery's going to fall out without it. Um, Well, after that eventful start, um, please do keep Hebrews open in front of you. Um, My name's Roger, I'm one of the ministers here. If you don't yet know me, um, come and say hello. And if you don't have a small group, come and say hello. Um, I can help link you up with one. We started our series in Hebrews last week. Um, and don't worry, you haven't missed much. We've only been through a few sentences so far. We're starting now, second week, halfway through verse 3, and just going to do a few verses, just three verses to look at today. Um, so we're going slowly as we begin, um, but we're going slowly because it just has amazing stuff to say, especially this intro. It's really dense with amazing things about Jesus. Whether you have known Jesus for years, there's more to know, or really don't know much about him at all, just been dragged along by a friend. Well, there's much uh, to get to know about Jesus. He's amazing. Um, So let me pray for God's help as we come to his word. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you so much that you are a speaking God. You haven't left us in the dark. And we thank you that you've spoken through history, through prophets, and now climactically through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to understand what a big deal that is, what a big deal he is. Please lift our hearts by your spirit to gaze on your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Well, as I prayed there, um, the book of Hebrews begins by talking about God's speech. Uh, Long ago, 
At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken by the Son. Uh, we started seeing that last week, and I'm going to try and put on a slide. We'll see if this works. This is the moment of truth. Like, yes, yes, we have movement. That's good. Okay, so last week we saw God spoke. He spoke in the past um, through the prophets, uh, and now he's spoken through his Son, kind of climax of God speaking, the ultimate revelation The uh, speaker you can't upgrade on is Jesus Christ. So I thought as we reflect on that, and then in a moment get into our verses for today, I thought we might just for a moment think, who is the most impressive speaker you've ever listened to? Or the most influential voice, you might say, in your life? There are lots of historical candidates. Um, From the archives, you could have the soaring hope and conviction of Martin Luther King, or the undefeatable courage of Winston Churchill, or Emmeline Pankhurst, or Nelson Mandela. Powerful words. Today, you can have those on the kind of A-list celebrity circuit, whether that's uh, sports, Olympic champions, World Cup winning sports people, uh, business leaders, Tim Cook, or uh, billionaires, Elon Musk, next prime minister, I mean, I'm sure their speaking fees are going up at the moment, one of them, Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak. Um, or is it the kind of social media influencer? I don't really know what that is. But you can tell from the name, like they must influence someone. I think they're just people younger than me, maybe. Um, so anyway, is it one of those people? Um, or I guess many of us, it would be more like uh, people close to home, not so much on TV or the internet, but, but family or friends or bosses, voices in our lives that ring loud, louder than anyone else. One possible candidate for uh, most impressive speaker is Tony Robbins. Who's heard of Tony Robbins? Anyone brave enough? Yeah, we've got one, two, two. That's double the amount of the 9.30 service, kid. Don't worry if you don't know him. I had no idea who he was when I went to university. And then I met one of his fans. Uh, Really, really liked the guy. Um, Tony Robbins, he's an American life coach and motivational speaker. He's a really big one. 50 million people have been to his seminars or used his courses, listened to them. Over 100 countries worldwide. He's the New York Times number one best-selling author, according to his own website. Uh, and, <laughs> and on the website, he's the world's number one life and business strategist. Um, he, he works with people like Serena Williams. Millions of people pay thousands of pounds a night just to be in a room with him and hear him speak. He oozes success, energy, confidence. Um, He seems to get results. And if you see a picture, he's just got a great jaw. (laughs) I decided not to put him up so we wouldn't be distracted. Um, (laughs) Hebrews opens by saying, whatever voice might impress you, or you might be influenced by, on a grand scale like that, or local, your friends, family, social circles, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger greater. So whatever person we're tempted to listen to for life advice, no one is greater than Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, we saw because he is the son of God. Um, the, the son of God is greater than the prophets. They were just spokesmen. He's the actual son. And last week, again, quick recap, we, we saw five amazing things about the son. I won't go through them in detail, but I will just put them up on the screen. Um, so why is the son so bigger? We really ought to make him bigger. Let's get him much bigger. Why is the son so much greater? Well, five things last week. Uh, he's the heir of the universe. 
That is the king who God's appointed to inherit the entire cosmos, including the nations of planet Earth. We read Psalm 2 a few minutes ago. The son in Psalm 2, the king, is told he will inherit the nations. Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance. That includes the 100 nations where Tony Robbins is being listened to and paid for. Now, we'll see more about that royal role later today, but there are other things as well. He also created everything. Uh, he, he is the beginning. Before all things, he was there, and he created all things. That means he's truly God. It means if you see him when he was walking around on planet Earth, people saw the radiance of God's glory. That is, God's perfections were made visible in him, in the flesh. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He shares God's nature. He's as God as God the Father. And then there was that final amazing phrase, uh, just at the end of verse, um, verse 3, or middle of verse 3, sorry, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Amazing thought that. All those impressive speakers I mentioned, they're only alive and breathing because Jesus is speaking. Amazing. That, that was last week, and that would be plenty, to be honest. <laughs> Five already amazing reasons to listen to this son, to not move away from what he has spoken to us. And that is the big kind of purpose of Hebrews. The the church being written to, again, we said more last week about this, and please go and listen if you weren't here last week, catch up with the details. But in a nutshell, they were finding it hard to to stick with Jesus' words in their culture. It was hard in their culture to stick with Jesus. They were tempted to, um, to move away from him to a form of religion that still seemed to get you right with God or do something, but wasn't so Jesus-focused, wasn't having to stick, um, take the stick and suffer for the name of Jesus. They were getting weary of that, and they needed to endure. Chapter 2, verse 1, if you look down, uh, captures the, the main point. We're on page 1001 in the Church Bibles. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift from it. That's that key application. Don't drift from the gospel that Jesus declared. The message that he brought. Stick to it. Don't drift. That's the goal of the letter. And the method of the letter, again, said it last week, but I'll say it again, is to consider Jesus. Look at Jesus. Just think about him. Gaze on him. Behold him. We need to reintroduce some wow factor into our Christian lives by looking at Jesus, looking at who we're actually dealing with when we open the Bibles and see what he said. Okay, that's last week. Today we've got three more amazing things um, uh, about Jesus. You'll see them on the back of the service sheet handout if you you have got that. Um, Three things. Jesus' completed work, Jesus' current position, and Jesus' crowning moments. His completed work, his current position, and his crowning moments. Each of them will give us plenty more reason to listen to Jesus over any other voice. Over the boss, we're a bit intimidated by, perhaps because they're a new one. Over the family that we really don't want to go against. Over the friends who put pressure on whether they know it or not to drift from Jesus and his words. From the politicians who seem to have our lives in their hands. From the rich and successful, however impressive and influential they may be. Jesus is worth listening to more. Okay, let's dive in. I'm going to read from verse 2 again. And as I read through, listen out for the completed work of Jesus. Um, So from verse 2. But in these last days, 
God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What's the completed work in there? Well, you could say he created the world. That's done and dusted, but that was last week. Uh, The one this week that's the completed work is that little phrase, after making purification for sins, he sat down. That phrase, after making purification for sins, blink and you would miss it. Short, isn't it? Just four words in Greek, five for us in English. And yet contained in those few words is the most amazing truth. That is saying that Jesus Christ is able to make anyone clean. Clean enough to approach a holy God in confidence. To know a holy God, not as an enemy or a judge, but as a friend and a father. So we're going to pause on that phrase for a moment. In lots of ways, this is a trailer for what's to come. Um, there's a lot about being purified, made clean in Hebrews. In some ways, Hebrews is a, is a speaking, purification, speaking kind of sandwich. Lots about Jesus speaking and how God speaks at the front and the end. Lots in the middle about how, as a priest, he makes us clean. Chapters 5 to 10 are all about that. We need that. You may not think in terms of cleanness, uncleanness, but the Bible does. The Bible has this consistent message that human beings are not clean. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was speaking on Haggai in the evening, a prophet in the Old Testament, and Haggai was saying that everything the people touched became unclean. Their hands were so kind of spiritually filthy that even the good things they were doing, building a temple for God, was actually kind of uh, contaminated, polluted by their hands. Yesterday, I changed a puncture. We got a puncture on our bike. I don't know if you've changed a puncture, but, but you get this kind of grime on your hands that just cannot come off. They smell of rubber, and they often, because I didn't do it badly, they, I get grease on them and, and oil, and just whatever I touch then has that kind of dark smudge for a few days before it wears off, however much I scrub it. Spiritually, the Bible says that's what we're like. And not just our hands, not just our deeds, but our words as well. Isaiah the prophet, faced with the blazing purity of God, cries out, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. Who of us doesn't have words we wish we could take back? That maybe even shocked us that we're capable of saying. The thing is, it's not just our hands, what we've done, it's not just our words, what we've said. Jesus says the real problem comes from right in here, starts in here, in the heart. This is Jesus, Mark 7. What comes out of a person is what makes them unclean. For from within, out of the heart of a person, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they make a person unclean. Got a big problem. The Bible says this over and over again. There's a big problem It's in our pasts, it's in our hands, it's in our speech, it's in our hearts. We are not clean enough for God. And then comes Hebrews 1 verse 3. This extraordinary phrase that Jesus came and did something to fix it. After making purification for sins. That's talking about the cross, 
where he died to pay for sin and to wash us clean completely. I've called it Jesus' completed work. Because the language makes that clear, doesn't it? After he's done this, then he sat down. That is, it's done and dusted. Job done, finished. There is no more purifying work to do because it was paid for on the cross. Later in Hebrews, we're going to, again, hear lots about that. We're going to hear that the Old Testament priests, who were in the purification business, that's what they were doing, offering sacrifices, offering offering offerings. Uh, They were trying to purify the people so that God could stay living with them. Actually, they were always on their feet, moving from sacrifice to sacrifice to sacrifice to sacrifice. Once a year, a, a big deep clean on the Day of Atonement to bring people back with God, and then it had to be repeated again and again. There had to be a safety zone around God, the the temple or the tabernacle, with a safety curtain, because no one actually was clean enough to come anywhere near him. Sin is a seriously big problem. The Bible faces up to all the problems in the world. It's pretty kind of blunt about how bad things can be in this world. And it still says the sin problem is the biggest problem. What's sin? We're just putting ourselves first rather than God or anyone else saying, I don't want God to be the boss, I want to be the boss. And it contaminates. You can actually see the effects in our world. Our world is me first. That's why we have a climate crisis. That's why we have huge financial inequality. Often that's why families break down. You can see the effects. But actually the Bible says the most serious effect we can't see, which is the uncleanness before our Creator spiritual rupture it produces, the contamination. And then Jesus came and went to the cross. And after making purification for sins, he sat down because it was job done. It's absolutely extraordinary. If you want to think more about it, please do read on into Hebrews. Hebrews 8 to 10 is the place to go if you want kind of a full version of this. This is just the trailer But even now, I hope you can begin to see how massive the implications are of that. So many people in life walk around with a huge scent of guilt on their shoulders. Guilt and shame. They won't always share it with other people. That's the nature of shame, isn't it? You don't really want to admit it to anyone else. Which means it's often a lonely weight to bear. I mean, all of us, if we're honest, know there are ways where we've not been the person we would like to be. We're not really the person other people would like us to be or think we are. Let alone the person God made us to be. That background guilt, unaddressed, is crippling. In fact, from what I can tell, I think it's one of the reasons why self-help gurus and motivational speakers are so appealing and compelling They often target that. They often uh, offer a way to get past the shame. You know, now you can make yourself someone better. Now you can boost your confidence, your self-esteem. He offers a kind of salvation, Tony Robbins. There's a big difference between talking yourself into feeling okay, talking yourself into thinking, well, maybe it's not that serious or I can move past it or whatever. Versus what Jesus offers, which is an actual solution, an actual washing, a purifying, a cleansing solution. Isaiah says, though our sins are like crimson stains on our lives, 
God can wash them white as snow through Jesus and the cross. Whatever has happened in life, whatever I've done or said, felt or thought, Jesus offers total purity. No wonder chapter 2 verse 3 says he offers a great salvation, such a great salvation. The only place actually you can find salvation for this real problem between us and God. Jesus' complete work, his completed work, he sat at God's right hand. Now if you want to chat more about that, um, we'll have time afterwards, you can come and chat and pray. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll think much more about it. And um, I hope this, one of the fruits of our time in he- Hebrews, I think, I hope and pray will be consciences that are clear, cleaned, perfected because Jesus has paid for it all. Okay, that's our first point. On to number two. One down, two to go. Number two is briefer. Jesus' current position. We've seen his completed work, but where is he right now? What's he, where's he sitting right now? Verse three. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, don't be confused by verse 4. It is a bit puzzling. We'll get there in a moment in point 3. But just first off, let's just notice where Jesus is right now, his current position. And the answer is right on top. To sit at the right hand of a throne is to, is to rule alongside someone. It's a picture of total authority, of, of co-rule with God the Father. I mean, it's customary, isn't it, for esteemed speakers to get the best seat at the table. So at a wedding, they'll be on the head table. Uh, Buckingham Palace, they might be opposite the Queen. Uh, Westminster, they're on the front bench. Uh, or Holyrood, the First Minister's chair. Uh, TED Conference, they're the ones on the stage. But there is no higher place to sit than at the right hand of God, the majesty on high. This is the top seat in the heavenly throne room. We're going to see uh, in a couple of weeks' time that sitting at God's right hand is the place where, according to the Old Testament, the judge of the world sits. At verse 13, if you just look across to the end of this chain of quotations in verse 13, this is quoting from Psalm 110, and it says this, To which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? I can't overemphasize how important Psalm 110 is to the book of Hebrews. Um, And actually the Bible, it's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. You know that? Psalm 110. It's a big one. Um, And it's all over Hebrews. It says that there's a king sat at God's right hand who was a priest and going to be the judge of the world, Jesus. I was struck when I was compiling, writing the introduction, compiling a list of some impressive speakers. I was struck by how many of them are dead, the really big ones. So Churchill, Mandela, Pankhurst, Luther King, dead. That's why I put in some contemporary ones, although I really ought to have someone who's alive. But actually, Tony Robbins, Elon Musk, Liz and Rishi, Of course, they'll be dead given time. No one cheats age and death, however powerful they sound. But Jesus Christ, after he had made purification for sins on the cross, actually rose from the dead. Lots of witnesses. Empty tomb. 
And then, having been risen from the dead, he was then raised to God's right hand in heaven. He's sitting there, alive, aware of what we're doing right now. His voice is worth listening to. That's point two, Jesus' current position. And the implication of that is you literally cannot get an upgrade on Jesus. When it comes to a speaker, a messenger... It may sound obvious, but the reason I'm saying it is because loads of people do claim they have one. Uh, Lots of religions and sects and cults that admire Jesus as a key prophet, but then add some extra teaching. Uh, The Book of Mormon, or Jehovah's Witnesses, or Islam. All do this. Well, we like Jesus, but there is this extra revelation, this final little bit that gets added on afterwards. No, says Hebrews, you cannot upgrade the sun And this is actually why we get angels mentioned. Um, Let me put angels up as well as prophets. You see, it's not just prophets, verses 1 and 2, that Jesus is compared to, but also angels. The rest of chapter 1 says a lot about angels. Uh, Why why is Jesus being compared with angels? Like we get it in verse 4. He's become superior to angels. Well, partly because they're the most impressive beings. I mean, supernatural beings. When when anyone meets an angel throughout the Bible, they just drop to their faces in terror. They're mighty spiritual beings, but the point is, Jesus is even above them because he's reigning over them. And that means he's a greater speaker than them. That's the other thing with angels. They're they're amazing spiritual beings. They're also messengers for God. Um, Just think, how did Mary and Joseph find out they were having a baby? Angel. Scary one. Or Abraham or Joshua. Angels visited them. Or even Moses, with the giving of the law, came through angels, the Bible teaches. I think that's what Hebrews has in mind. Just look at chapter 2, verse 2. This is talking about the the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, this old covenant for God's people Israel. Uh, Verse 2, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? which was declared at first by the law. Let me just put some pictures up to show us that. What he's saying is, God spoke through the angels in the past. God's spoken through the Son now. God's covenant that came through the angels at Mount Sinai had serious consequences if we didn't listen to it, and Israel didn't, and face them in history. And therefore, how much greater the Son of God, who's brought the gospel, this greater salvation, if we were to ignore or drift from him And that message. That's point two. Jesus' current position. He sat at God's right hand. Hopefully, already it's clear that no voice in our lives should have the kind of influence that Jesus does. But there's just one more, point three, one more thing to talk about, um, which I've called Jesus' crowning moment. Jesus' crowning moment. This is verses four and five. As he's given a name higher than the angel's. Just before we dive in, I'm sad to say this is the most complicated bit of the talk, even though it's coming at this point when we're probably all coming into land and thinking, oh, we've done it, we've done the hard lifting. (laughs) I'm sorry about that, it's just the way it is. Um, So just have a wiggle or whatever you need to do, take a deep breath, just to zone in uh, for the next like four minutes of concentration, and then we'll be back out and and finishing. Um, So I've got three quick questions about verses four and five, and about this name... This name in verse 4 that he's inherited, 
that's much superior to angels. Three questions. What? What is the name we're talking about? Two, how? Like, how? How is that possible? What's going on? Like, how can Jesus become superior to angels? Wasn't he already bigger than them? So that whole kind of how does that work? And three, when? What? How? And when? Um, So, first off, one, what? What is the name? Well, this one's simple. Uh, Often in the Bible, if there's a puzzle, look to context, look to what's written next, and it will explain it. And verse five makes it clear what the name is, doesn't it? So he's inherited this name, more excellent than the angels. Verse five, four... To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, he will be to me a son. So there's the name, son. He picks up Psalm 2, which we read earlier, and 2 Samuel 7, the promises to David, that one day a unique descendant of David will be the son, a king who's got a relationship to God like a father, the son. That's the first question. What's the name? Son. Now it gets a bit harder. Question two is, huh? Huh? How? What? Like, wasn't Jesus already the son? And how can he become superior to the angels with this new name he's got? Because isn't he already superior to the angels? What's going on? Those are good questions. Um, The short answer is that Jesus is the son in... Let me skip on... Jesus is the Son in two ways. Jesus is the Son in two senses. First off, he's the divine Son of God. That is the second person of the Trinity, um, as God, as God the Father, uh, the sustainer of the world, the creator of the world, the imprint of God's nature, the radiance of his glory. We heard a lot about Jesus the Son in that sense last week. He's always been that. He's always been superior to angels as that divine Son, and he always will be. You can't improve that nature. You can't top him up. He is perfection. He is the son in uh, fully God. But the name in verses four to five that we're talking about is son in a second sense. Not just the divine son, but the Davidic son. That is the promises of Psalm 2 or 2 Samuel 7 that someone in David's line would be the king, the son of God in that sense a king who would sit on God's holy hill, a king who would sit at God's right hand, Psalm 110. Now, if you're blurring over and thinking, well, why do I need to know that he's a Davidic king? Uh, Is that really relevant to daily life? Well, the Psalms say that the Davidic king will judge every daily life on the planet. So actually knowing who the son is is quite a big deal, the Davidic son. He's not just the creator, he's the judge, the king. The other thing those Psalms make clear is this had to be a human king, a descendant of David. So this is the amazing thing. Um, Let me just put the two headings up. The eternal son of God had to dip, who's, who's already above the angels, had to dip below the angels to become this Davidic king, this human king who could save us and make purification for sins. And then was raised up again to God's right hand. We'll we'll hear lots about that in chapter 2. So if that didn't make sense at speed, we'll we'll get it again in chapter 2. The point being again, though, that when he was raised from the dead and given this title, Son, God the Son in the sense of the King, the Son of God, well, you could not get a bigger speaker than that. Twofold. He made you. 
sustains you, and he rules and will judge you. I hope you're still with me. Just our final, that was the huh? Our final question is question three, when? When did that actually happen? And well, Jesus is declared as the son lots of times by God during his life, at the, at the baptism, at his transfiguration. They're all kind of previews. It's actually as he rises from the dead and is seated at God's right hand. That's the crowning moment when he becomes the son, the king. All of which means you cannot upgrade on Jesus' voice. When I was a teenager, I was um, at a church and in a youth group where there was a lot of excitement about kind of supernatural stuff. Um, and uh, there was a girl in the youth group who, who said she'd been to a conference where someone had, had claimed to see an angel while the singing was going on. I don't know what to make of that now, but at the time I was really excited. In fact, whenever I was at a big conference with lots of people singing, I was kind of looking out for a glimpse of angel. Imagine hearing an angel say something. Wow. I've now realized my excitement was back to front. Even if a glorious angel, a blazing supernatural being like that, visibly walked into Chalmers right now, um, I guess not through the door, they might just appear, I don't know, we'd be terrified. I'd be terrified. But if they took the mic and said a different message to what Jesus has said, we should ignore them. It's quite a thought. If you think I'm overstating or kind of stepping into territory, I shouldn't. Paul says exactly that in Galatians. If an angel came along and gave you a different gospel from the one Jesus gave you, don't listen. Because you cannot upgrade the son as a speaker. That's why it's so remarkable that some religious leaders and denominational leaders, even, um, even in kind of Christian circles today, think that you can think that any of us might have the authority to adjust the gospel that Jesus gave us. You cannot upgrade the Son. All of which means it's worth paying much more careful attention to Jesus. As we come into close, um, here's my kind of encouragement for the week, practical encouragement. I, I know we, often when we hear a sermon, we do want to kind of just have something to do, something practical we can get our teeth into. I'm really tempted to jump to chapter two and talk about well, what will it look like for us to, to listen more carefully to Jesus, to not drift from his words. But we'll get there when we get to chapter two. We're going slowly. I think that the real kind of outbox of this, these verses is just to say, wow, like, wow. It's to, it's to look at the sun, to gaze on him, behold him, reflect on him, consider Jesus. I know for me personally that in the manic busyness of life, new terms starting at school or uni, work or church, it can feel like there's too much going on actually to pause and reflect. We're not good at that as a culture, taking time to actually think deeply about something. There's just so much information crowding in. I don't know if we're good at it as a church, taking time to just pause and reflect on Jesus. I know I'm not good at it as an individual. And yet, ironically, that is the thing that would most help us to listen to him and stick with him when the pressure's on out there in the world, to stick with his voice in a world that doesn't, to not wish we could change his words when the world says we should. 
But perhaps this week, take a few minutes out each day to, to pick one thing from Hebrews 1 to 5, this intro. One thing about the Son to just reflect on, thank God for, praise God for, praise Jesus for, something to meditate on. Each of these truths has so much implication for our world and our lives. I think if we're doing that, then the next time the the TV or internet or boss or colleagues or family or friends tell us we should choose a different path to the one Jesus says, I think we'll be much more equipped to know who to listen to. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken. And we thank you that you've spoken climactically in your Son, greater than the prophets, greater than the angels, greater than any other voice on earth. We pray very much that you would help us this week to gaze on him, to consider him, to behold him. Please, by your Spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts to see his greatness, his goodness, his perfection, his power. And we pray that would lead us to not drift from his words, to not want to, to not dare to. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.